Once upon a time, there was a young shepherd, a boy after God's own heart. He went from tending sheep to leading armies, from wearing a sword to wearing a crown. He was one of history's greatest kings who committed one of history's most infamous murders. His rise built a kingdom. His fall would tear it apart. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. How many of you are happy to be alive today, are you? Happy to be alive? Somebody said it beats the alternative. I'm not sure that's the case. The alternative is heaven. That's a pretty good deal. But I'm happy to be alive today. Especially happy to be in Charleston, South Carolina. What a great place to be. Would you agree with that? All right. Four of us agree with that. The rest of us would rather be somewhere else. Speaking of somewhere else, let me just welcome those of you who uh, either are in the chapel, the warehouse, or you're at one of our campuses. I was thinking of the Manning campus this morning. Say hey to you guys. Uh, or maybe you're on the internet and you're watching. And uh, we're glad that you're along too. Awesome day, awesome day, awesome day. All right, here, here we go. I want to ask you a question. I always start with a question. And here it is. And it relates to something I did this week. How many of you have ever, you had a choice to make? You need to pick something, you know. But might have been a partner or might have been food, might have been something. <clears throat> Menu choice, whatever it is. And something looked really good. Packaging was great. But the inside was very, very disappointing. Anybody ever been there? <clears throat> okay, let me tell you. This week, I'll get some water here. This week, I decided that I was going to start eating healthier breakfast, okay? And uh, Starbucks wasn't getting it, you know, for breakfast. And so I decided I'm going to go to the local grocery store and get some healthy cereal. Now, how many of you have ever been in the cereal aisle? <clears throat> like it, it's, it's, it's a football field. I mean, and there's just so many choices. You know, you got your Cheerios, you got your Rice Krispies. I, I'm, going, I'm going deeper. You know, I'm going to go with something healthy. And uh, so you go to the healthy ones, or they look healthy. They've got healthy-looking people on them, or, or they <clears throat> kind of have this granola look. You know what I mean? This kind of looks like cardboard that's recycled and all that kind of stuff. So I bought one of those, brought it home, great packaging, and uh, tasted it the next morning with a little milk. And can I tell you, it tasted like a combination of maybe a little tree bark sawdust, some shredded cardboard, bits of old carpet, maybe a well-worn boot, and mixed in with a little dry pluff mud, okay? <laughs> that was breakfast. Disappointment. Outside looked great inside, not so much. Remember the first dog we bought? One of the first dogs that Debbie and I bought. We got four little kids. You got to have a dog, right? I don't know why, but you have to have a dog. And so we went to buy a dog and packaging was great. I mean, fluffy, little black, you know, just made you pick me up, you know, kind of, kind of deal. Let's, let's go. So took it home and that dog has had the heart of a psychopath. Okay. Our kids were on these pacifiers uh, at the time, two or three of them, you know, because they're all about the same age, whatever. And 
So this dog would snag the pacifier out of one of our baby's mouths. And, and, and then when the baby would go to get the pacifier, the dog would drop the pacifier and bite the baby. <clears throat> dog found a new home quickly because the packaging didn't match the internal deal. Now, that's not a big deal when you're talking about breakfast cereal or a dog that you can re-gift to your in-laws, but it is a bigger deal, much bigger deal <clears throat> when you're talking about when you're talking about, you know, picking a partner. You know, whether that's a marriage partner, business partner, or somebody that's going to be on your team or uh picking a president, you know, or a political official, uh you 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 need for the outside packaging to match the internal. And when there's not, there can be real, real problems. So let's just kind of put a parenthesis on that. And we're going to come back to it. I'm going to tell you what we're going to do for the next few weeks. We're going to study uh, the life of David. We're going to do it for 12 weeks. We're going to do it all summer long. David's one of my favorite characters. Uh, We're going to call it the rise and fall because there is a rise and fall of David. And then, and then he rises again. Um, was in Israel a couple of weeks ago. And David is still the gold standard when it comes to success. Whether they're measuring the success of a leader, you know, a political leader. David was the greatest political leader that Israel really probably has ever had. And, uh, you know, everything's named King David this, King David that, because there's a great sense of national pride in this guy uh, named David. We're going to study his triumphs. We're going to study his tragedies, the good, bad, and the ugly. What's interesting about David is that the Bible doesn't gloss over anything. I mean, it's all there. It's all, you know, the good things are there, the bad things are there. He has the same temptations that you or I have, um, and we're going to study him. Hopefully, we're going to learn more about God. Uh, We'll learn more about how God deals with his people, and most of all, I think we're going to be impacted. I hope we're going to be radically changed by uh, the story of uh, David. And we first see David, and we're going to kind of talk about that today uh, when he is actually chosen as king when he's just a, a young man it's the story actually of two kings and the story of how uh, they almost made a major major mistake when they chose david because the first king was saul we'll study him for just a few minutes today too and they chose based on outside packaging but the internal didn't match and when they chose the second king they almost made the same mistake And I think we can learn a lot from that because I know in life I've made that mistake many, many, many times. And so as we uh, study, uh, kind of the background of the story is this. David's story actually begins in 1 Samuel chapter 1, uh, appropriately enough, with a remarkable woman named Hannah. Now Hannah is heartbroken because she can't have children, okay? Okay. Uh, the Bible says she's she's barren. She can't have children. And her husband tries to encourage her. He doesn't know what to say. And so he says to her, aren't I better to you than 10 sons? Guys, we're clueless. I, I, I mean, <laughs> you can't have kids. Uh, let me think of something to say. Um, you know, you got me. <laughs> you know, I'm better than 10 kids. And she's like, no, nah, not really. And... Uh, just kind of, we, we don't know what to say. So we say stuff, and he did, and it didn't help. And she went to the temple to seek God, and she 
took, took a place kind of off in the corner and she's fervently praying. I was at the Western Wall and I watched people fervently praying and it's, I mean, they really intensely get into it and she was intensely getting into it and her mouth was moving but no words were coming out. You know, I mean, she's just silently praying and the priest at the temple notices her and he thinks she's drunk. And so he goes over and he says, pack up the Budweiser, go home, it's time to leave. And she says, you know what, I'm not drunk. And she explains to him, she doesn't tell him exactly what she's praying about, but she says there's something that she desperately wants from God. And that's why she's praying so fervently. And the priest looks at her and he says, go in peace. God will grant you your petition. Just a thought on that. Sometimes we get intimidated by prayer. Sometimes we hear other people pray and we go, you know, they've really got it together and they know how to pray and I don't know how to pray and I don't know what to say and who do I pray to and how do I do it and all You know what? It doesn't matter. I'm sure there's some, you know, things we probably, uh, there's some stuff that we ought to learn as we grow. But you know what? The bottom line is God hears a fervent prayer and he hears a desperate heart. And so he hears Hannah's, prayer and she goes home and sleeps with her husband and she becomes pregnant and she gives birth to a baby boy. Now she had promised God that if he would answer her prayer that she would dedicate any son to a lifetime of service in the temple. And so her baby's born and she names him Samuel, which means he who is from God. And after a season, she drops him off at the high priest's house to raise. How many of you have ever kind of wanted to do that? <laughs> yeah, it'd make it a lot easier. God, I don't know what to do. Here, he's yours. We don't practice that here. You raise your kids, I raise mine. Okay? She sends with the high priest. And as a young boy, one night he's sleeping and he hears his name, Samuel. And so he gets up and he goes to the to the bedroom of the high priest, he says, here, here, am, here am I. The high priest says, I, I didn't call you. I didn't say anything. Go, go back to bed. So he goes back to bed. That same scene is repeated three times. Here am I, here am I. Until finally the high priest and Samuel recognize that God is calling him. That it's the voice of Almighty God that God wants to work specifically through him. So Samuel becomes a man of God. He becomes a respected man of God. He becomes um, a prophet. And ultimately he becomes a judge because in those days the way Israel was governed was by God himself through a judge. And there were you know, several of them. There was Deborah was a judge and Samson was a judge and various judges in the book of what? Judges. And Samuel ultimately becomes a judge. Now, Israel is in pretty sad shape during Samuel's lifetime. God has promised them a land, Canaan land, and he says, if you'll just obey me, if you just worship me and me only, he said, I'll drive out your enemies and I'll make things well. But at every opportunity, they turn from God and they turn toward pagan religions. What's the attraction you know, they've got this the, the, the Yahweh, the one true God, but he's kind of boring compared to the pagan around there. I mean, he, he's kind of like a bachelor God, not like the bachelor TV show, but he doesn't have a wife and 
kind of stern, kind of strict. And the pagan gods of the time, they had male, female gods, goddesses of fertility. They had, you know, uh, orgies for rituals. And I mean, it, it, it appealed to the base instincts of the Israelite people. And so what would happen is they'd have a, a good judge and a judge that would call them to God and they would be okay for just a little while. And then they would return to their, uh, you know, their, their, their old ways and reject God. In fact, Judges chapter 3 and verse 7 says, the Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight and they forgot about the Lord their God. That scripture is repeated over and over and over again in the book of Judges. And so what would happen is God would kind of lift his protection from them he would lift his kind of his his uh, circle of influence from them, and then they would lose wars. They would lose political battles. They were constantly humbled by other nations. They couldn't even get along with one another. Then occasionally a prophet or a judge would rise up, and it would be okay for a while. And then they'd revert back to their old ways until finally the last verse in Judges says this: In those days, Israel had no king, and so the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Now Samuel is the last judge of Israel. And during his uh, rule, uh, he did a pretty good job, really. The Philistines were defeated, who were their main enemy. Uh, The corruption in the priesthood, he cleaned that up. But Samuel had one major failing. He was a lousy father. In fact, we'll pick up that narrative in 1 Samuel Uh, 8 and verse 1, it's on your outline sheet. It says, as Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Joel and Abijah, his oldest sons, held court in Beersheba. But they were not like their father, for they were greedy for money. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. And finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you're now old. And your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Give us a king. Everybody else has a king. You haven't done a good job with your kids. They're not like you. We want a king. Reasonable request. Except for it wasn't God's will for them at that particular point. Now in Deuteronomy, God said, there there will be kings. I will give kings to Israel and there will be good kings in their season. But this wasn't the season. But they wanted it anyway. Have you ever been in a hurry when God wasn't? Try to force the hand of God. God, I gotta have it, gotta have it, gotta have it. And when you get it, you go, oh, why did I want that? That's exactly what happened here. God says, well, well, let's, let's go on. Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. The Lord replied, do everything that they say to you, for it is me they're rejecting, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. And ever since I brought them out of Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they're giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. And so in the next few verses, which I don't have on the outline, he says, okay, you want a king? Here's what a king will do. He'll draft your sons into war. He'll draft your daughters to serve in the court. Uh, his consumptive needs will get bigger and bigger and bigger. He'll take your land. He'll raise your taxes. Wasn't just the Democrats. It was kings. <laughs> it's always been an issue. Always been an issue. He'll raise your taxes. They said, you know what? Who cares? 
We want a king. God says, okay, Samuel, they want a king. I'll give them a king, but they're not going to like it. And so a king was chosen. His name was Saul. And Saul looked like a king should look. The Bible says that he was a head taller than everybody else. He was tall. He had a nice tan, a great smile, good hair. He looked great in dockers or diesel, either one. He was a king. I said, that's our king. We have a king. But the problem was that he, the interior didn't match the exterior packaging. As you read the story of Saul, it didn't take him long for kind of this charisma to wear off because he didn't seek God. And he, or when he did, he did it on his own terms. And ultimately, Israel was worse off with Saul than they were without him. And so finally, God tells Samuel, okay, they had their king. Now it's time to anoint a new king that I have chosen. And so he tells Samuel to go to Bethlehem. And in Bethlehem, he's going to find a man named Jesse. And Jesse has a number of sons. And among those sons, you're going to find the man that I have chosen. And so Samuel goes to Bethlehem, tells Jesse uh, the story. And Jesse calls his sons in and we pick up the reading in 1 Samuel 16. It says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. Eliab is the oldest son. Okay? And he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. This is the one. This is the one. Based on what? The package. He's tall. He's got a great tan. Nice smile, good hair. Looks good in Dockers or Diesel. He looks like the last guy. He's a king. Time out. The last guy was a problem. This is Samuel. He's a crusty old prophet. He's been hearing God since he was about five years old. And he almost blows it. Do you think you might have a chance of blowing it occasionally? In important choices because you're looking for the wrong things? Yeah, yeah. But fortunately, God stopped him. Look at the next verse. It says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. By the way, this rejection of Eliab is going to come back next week in a story in an unusual way as we study David and Goliath. But he says, The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outer appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He looks at the inner package. So so Samuel says to Jesse, okay, let's bring the other six sons in. And he looks at them and and finally he he doesn't hear God. And he says, is this this all? Jesse says, well, there is one more, but I'm I'm not sure he's the one. He doesn't look like these guys and he's out tending sheep. And Samuel says, well, go get him. I, I, I need to see. And so he sent and had him brought in for Samuel 16, 12. And he was ruddy, which means he, he had a nice complexion, may, may have been redheaded, with a fine appearance and handsome features. I mean, you don't have to be unattractive for God to use you. It helps, but you don't have to be. <laughs> He's got fine features. 
And then the Lord said, rise and anoint him because he is the one. How did he know? What was he looking for? I wished it said, and here's four reasons that he's the one, but it doesn't. But fortunately, you're here today. I've got it. I have a revelation from God. Actually, we can learn by looking backwards. How many of you know that uh, your vision in the rearview mirror is 2020? You know, you look back and you go, okay, that's, okay, I see. And as we, we what, fortunately, the Bible doesn't stop right there. It tells the story of David. And we, we, we can see from future stuff why God chose David. What it was about him that God chose. So here's the message and here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about two things, okay, as we listen to the next few minutes. One is some of you are, you've got a decision you've got to make, okay? And you've got to choose something or someone. So what I want you to do is I want you to listen to the message and say, okay, how does God choose people? And let's kind of put that up against what I'm looking at. The rest of us, here's what I want to do. I want you to put yourself there and say, would God choose me? And how can I become the type of person that God uses in a significant way that God chooses? Okay, does that make sense? So let's go for it. How, wh- why did God choose David? What do you look for in a new king? First thing you look for is a spiritual heart. Spiritual heart. That's what God saw in David. How do we know that? Well, if you back up a little bit, when Saul had blown it, and Samuel came to Saul, here's what, here's what uh, he said to him. He said, but now your destiny must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. He didn't even know who he was at that point. But he just knew that God had another man, and this man was going to be a man who was after God's own heart. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be a man or a woman who's after God's own heart? means that you've got the same thing on your heart as God has on him. It means that what's important to God matters to you. It means that what concerns God concerns you. It means when God says to you, do something, Maybe you're reading God's Word and something jumps out and you know you need to respond to that. Or maybe it's through a message that somebody like me gives and God speaks to you and you go, I need to respond. You do it because you've got a heart that's after God. When God says to stop doing something, you don't put up a whole bunch of arguments. You don't you know, try to come up with excuses. You just, okay, God, I'll stop. Give me the power to do that because your heart is sensitive to the things of God. Here's what's interesting. When God finds somebody that has a heart after him, he aggressively pursues them in order to do something through them. Here it is. Second Chronicles 16:9 in your outline sheet it says first, but it's actually Second Chronicles 16:9. It says the eyes of the Lord <clears throat> search the whole world in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him see god is searching the entire world looking for men and women whose hearts are fully committed to him in other words people who are all in who love god who are concerned about him concerned about the things that please god concerned about the things that displease god when they make decisions here's how they make them it's not based on 
Is this what's best for me? Will this make me feel good? Will this make me look sexy? You know, will this honor God? Will this honor God? Will this decision about work, will this decision about the thing I'm getting ready to say, will this decision about the, the outfit that I'm going to wear today, what I'm going to wear, have you noticed it's almost summertime in Charleston? And it's hard to be modest because that's not what's driving the clothing industry. But I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to swim against the grain. And when you make decisions about what you're going to wear, will this honor God? Will this honor God? I mean, that makes it very, very clear. Will this honor God? Every decision. That's how you can kind of tell somebody has a heart for God. And here's, here's what's great. There is a promise there. He says that the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He says, I'll give you strength. Jesus says it this way. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I'll add everything that you need. Everything. It's not like God goes, you know, I don't care about you. No, it says, you care about my stuff, and I'll give you more than you could ever imagine. The stuff you need. If you need something strengthened, maybe you feel like you got a lack of energy. Check your heart. Do I honor God? Because God is looking throughout the entire world to find people whose hearts are steady and set on Him, who honor Him first. And he says, I will give them strength. I will give them a supernatural outpouring of my Holy Spirit. I will give them my strength. Anything that you need strengthening, if you'll honor God in it, He'll give it to you. You honor God in your relationships, He'll give you strength there. You honor God in your finances, He'll give you strength there. You honor God in your career, whatever in in your parenting, whatever it happens to be, you put God first. And He says, I will. Man, I'm, I'm looking for people like that. I will strengthen them. I will give them my strength. So when God looks for somebody He can use, He looks first for a spiritual heart. David had one. Second thing He looks for is a humble heart. Humble heart. Where did God find David? Psalm 78 and verse 7, he says, For he chose his servant David, calling him from the sheep pens. Where was he at? He was in the sheep pens. He was a humble shepherd. God didn't have to go through a ministry search firm to find him. David didn't have his resume out. King in waiting. King in waiting. No, I think he knew something. I think he knew God knew his address. Do you know God knows your address? His promotion is better than self-promotion. And what David was doing, he was serving faithfully and quietly in his father's house. He was just serving the house. Would you agree with me? Sometimes it's easier to have a vision to change the world than serve faithfully in the house. I want to make major impact. I want my life to matter. I want to do something great. Okay. What we need you to do today is watch sheep a little while. I need you to show up on time, make sure they have good food and water, clean up some sheep dung uh, from now and then, and don't go to sleep while you're on the job. Kind of sounds sounds like nursery volunteer (laughs) ministry. I want to change the world. Could you serve in the nursery today? We really need you to do that. No, I'm... I'm a king in waiting. (laughs) 
No, no, we need you to serve faithfully in the, in the house. But, but I want to kill a giant. Well, that, that'd be great. But what we need you to do today is to protect some sheep, ward off a few bears and lions. We need you to serve faithfully in the house. Kind of sounds like middle school ministry to me. I don't, I don't know. But, but I want to be in on world-changing decisions. Well, that's great, but what we need you to do today is to help some sheep decide where they're going to park it for the night, where they're going to sleep. It kind of sounds like parking lot ministry. I want, I want to do something great. Could, could, could you help people find a parking place? What, that, I'm kind of a king in waiting. We'll, we'll know you serve faithfully and quietly in the house. Jesus said it this way. Unless you're faithful in small matters, you won't be faithful in large ones. If you cheat even a little, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Here's what I know from living a little while. It is great to serve in an area that you're gifted in and make a major impact. It really is. But sometimes the need of the house is to clean up sheep dung. And when you do that really, really well, then God may trust you with something bigger. I went to Israel a couple of weeks ago and it was kind of a cool trip because I didn't have to lead. And I figured next time I go, I'll be leading. And when you lead, you know how that is. Got to make sure everybody's there on time and do, do all this. I just had me to be responsible for. And I told my wife before I left, I just want to have kind of a spiritual retreat, experience God and take as many pictures as I can and the best pictures I can do. And so after a while, everybody said, well, why don't you take our pictures too? We'll just, and so we put them up on Flickr so everybody can use them. And that was my role. That was my gift. My way to serve that group was to take pictures. And I really enjoy that. Well, I remember one time we were going around in a bus and we had to change hotels three times. Every time you change hotels, you had to take all your luggage with you. And you had about 40 people and uh, mostly uh, husband and wife. And you're there for like eight to 10 days. And so that's a lot of luggage. How many of you know that? So the luggage fit underneath the the bus, and I remember at one stop, I'm standing there, and, and they are got it open, they're trying to unload the luggage, and one of the guys says, I, I need you to help underneath the butt, you're the right size, to, <laughs> you got to get in there and grab the luggage and pull it out, it, it, and it's hot and, and dirty and stuff, and I'm thinking this, but I take pictures. It's kind of how I serve. I take really nice pictures and, and other people do. I, I'll take pictures of you guys doing the... the... <laughs> no, but here's what we, we, we need you right now kind of underneath the bus. But I'm a king in waiting. You go diva really quick in situations like that, don't you? And here's the truth. I don't care where it is. I don't care if it's in your family situation. I don't care if it's work. In the church, in the church, everybody should serve. Everybody. Somebody said the church is kind of like a football game. We got 80,000 people in the stadium in desperate need of exercise, cheering on 22 guys in desperate need of rest. And that's how most churches operate. We come, we sit, and we soak, and a few people are serving, everybody else. I'm just, I've been hurt in the last church I'm in, so I just kind of need to sit and wait. Well, really, how long have you been here? Oh, seven years. 
could you clean up some sheep dung for us a little bit? We kind of need your help. Need your help. See, and, and in situations, when you're serving in the house, and you want to serve where you're gifted, and that's great, but oftentimes the goal is more important than the role. Did you get that? Let me explain that. In that bus situation, the goal was to get the suitcases out. My role was to climb in the stinking bottom of the bus and do it. The goal was more important than the role. And if I did what I did well, God's watching and he'll graduate me to you know, putting the suitcases in or maybe even supervising people or taking pictures of people while they do it. Are we, are, are we computing here? Okay. All right. All right, good. Four people really feel like that is God. Preach it, Greg, because I'm serving and person next to me isn't and they need to. I'm not quite done with that. Can, can I just talk about that a minute? Our goal is everybody serves. So you fill out a sheet or you fill out a card like this that says, I want to serve, and they don't call you back. What do you do then? Gripe and complain about the church. No, what you do is you, you walk in or you do whatever it is in the church and you see something, you go, I can't believe they do it that way. You know why they do it that way? Because they need you doing it. So whatever ticks you off is probably what you ought to be doing. Preach it, Preach it brother. <laughs> okay, let's move on. So God's looking for somebody he can use. He looks for a spiritual heart. He looks for a humble heart. Third thing he looks for is a heart of integrity. Heart of integrity. He's looking for people he can trust. Psalm 78 and verse 71 says, From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. Now, he had skillful hands. He got good at what he did. He practiced and practiced and practiced. And he got good at what he did. And boy, there's a lot there. I'd love to teach on that. You know, if you're serving at church or at work or wherever it is, you need to become the best. You need to read the manuals. You need to know the programs. You need to to practice your instrument. You need to give God the very, very best. David became skillful. Where do you think he learned to write the Psalms? And he was a musician and all of this. He became skillful. He put the work in. But he had integrity of heart. See, God's not looking for massive specimens of humanity. He's looking for spiritual, humble, honest-to-the-core servants who have integrity. What does integrity mean? It means that you're the same uh, when nobody's looking. It's who you are when nobody's It means that your life is integrated. The outside is integrated with the inside. So how do you know when somebody has integrity? Let's say that you're one of the ones that you're looking to choose something or somebody. How do you know? Basically, past experience. Uh, I was talking to a dad the other day. I'm not suggesting this. It just makes a great illustration. Talking to a dad the other day, and and uh, we're talking about, you know, raising daughters and, you know, dating and that whole thing. And how, how do you, 
what do you do when a guy comes and asks for your daughter's hand in marriage and how do you process that? And this was really unique. He, he, I asked him, what do you do? And he said, uh, I asked for uh, two years of tax uh, returns and a credit report. I said, really? I bet that cuts down on the traffic there at your house, you know, of people coming by. I said, explain that to me. He said, well, I'm not looking for how much. I'm just looking to make sure that this is a guy who keeps his word that he's paying his taxes, that he pays his bills, all that kind of stuff. Because if he doesn't and he hasn't, he's probably going to be the same way with my daughter and it's going to be a mess. I thought, well, that makes sense. Don't start doing that. Figure out your own deal. But, it, you know, past performance is a good indicator of the future. So just as I close today, how, um, how do you make a good choice? We're talking about how I become a person that God can use, but there's also... How do you know somebody kind of is, is, is somebody that I can trust and I can use? Uh, four or five things, I'll just list them. Number one, listen to God. Learn to listen to God. That's what saved Samuel's bacon. It really, not his bacon, he didn't eat uh, pigs and stuff. Um, it saved something for Samuel. I know it did. <laughs> okay. Listen to God. God, when he saw Eliab, he almost made the same mistake. God said, mm, mm, mm. How, how did he hear that? He had practiced hearing God. So you need to practice hearing God. You read God's Word, and then when you read God's Word, you go, okay, what's your word for me today? You pick out one thing from that, and you hear that. Or you, you have those Kairos moments, those God moments when God breaks through in your life, either good things, bad things, or whatever, and you learn to process them. You learn to hear God. So you listen to God. And then you also check the resume. Check the resume. Check the references. Check the references. Um, third thing you do is wise counsel. Because sometimes we don't hear God clearly. Sometimes it's just bad burritos. How many of you know that? And so you need people in your life that can go, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm resonating with that. I think it's a good choice. Hold out for God's best. Don't just settle. Because with Samuel... Uh, he thought there were just six or seven options, but actually there was another one that wasn't there. And sometimes you've got to dig a little bit and the, the obvious option will come. And then uh, the fifth thing you do is act in faith. Act in faith. Don't let fear of the past mistakes keep you from choosing well. Don't get caught in a paralysis of analysis. Sometimes you've just got to act in faith with what you believe God is saying. So here's my challenge to all of us today. What if we all decided to become the kind of people that God uses? Do you think that would make a difference in this church? Think it would make a difference in your family and the community? Boy, I do. What if we all became people that our hearts honored God and the primary concern with us is, will this honor you, God? What if we all just decided we're going to humbly serve in the house? Let promotion come from the Lord. Let the, ro- the goal be more important than the role. God knows where I'm I'm just going to humbly serve in the house. What if we all did that? Wow. Wow. What if we all were men and women of integrity? Here's what I think would happen. This would become a community that even more accurately reflects God's greatness. We'd change the world more so than we are. You know, we end every service with Ephesians, what, 3.20? God is able to do what? Oh, way more exceedingly, abundantly, more than we can ask or imagine. I'll bet he would do even bigger things 
individually and among us, if we became people with hearts for God. That's what I'm going to pray for you. Let's pray. God, I thank you today. I thank you for the challenge put forth in the choosing of David. God, now as we reflect on our own lives and our hearts and who you've called us to be and our gifts and we just offer them to you, God, I pray that there would just be a sense and a spirit of integrity that would come on this gathering. God, we're listening to you. We want to hear your voice. So God, I ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in the next few minutes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.